maybe if I had a piece of advice for myself a few years ago would be to actually keep a journal and write down, you know, the five and the six and the seven days and then notice that there are also more and more days like that go go towards four or three and actually appreciate that the that there are actually good days too between all that uh, snarling barking and uh, pulling on the leash and uh, turning into a dragon i know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging reactive or aggressive dog that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rough Around the Edges. And this time, once more, I'm talking to someone based in my own country, in the capital even, in Amsterdam. But she's not Dutch, so at least that makes it international again. Uh, I'm talking to Karolina Jonjets, and she is going to talk to us, to me, to you, about her sweet dog, Lou, but I'm going to let her introduce the both of them. So, Carolina, over to you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be talking about my favorite subject ever, which is my dog. Basically, I can talk about my dog 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's the only thing I want to talk about. So I'm super happy to, that I got the opportunity to talk about about Lou to a lot of people simultaneously. So get ready for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lou is um, eight years old and she's from Nicaragua. And I uh, always call her an unexpected uh, uh, travel souvenir because um, I wasn't planning on uh, getting a dog anytime soon. And I definitely wasn't planning on getting a dog from Nicaragua, where I was as a volunteer to work with uh, children. So it all just sort of happened unexpectedly and it turned my life upside down, really. Um, yeah, where do I start? So uh, my ex-boyfriend and I got to a center where we would be volunteers. Um, and I think about three days into being there, my ex went jogging in the morning, seven and seven o'clock in the morning, super hot already. And he came back with uh, two puppies in his arms. And that was the beginning of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at, I looked at the dogs. I looked at him and I was like, oh no. And that, yeah, that's trouble. That's going to be trouble. I already know it. Um, so we were on that trip already for three months. We first, we first traveled through Central America. And there are a lot of dogs in all these countries, like street dogs everywhere, like a sea of street dogs. And I've, I've always loved dogs. I, I grew up with dogs. Um, but I sort of lived in a bubble, I guess. I've never seen so much suffering and so many neglected street dogs so it really broke my heart basically I walked around with like three kilo of dog food in my backpack and I fed everything I, oh. I came across yeah 
like every every town we went to first thing i did was going to a pet shop and getting like a bag of kibble and just trying to feed all the dogs uh, that uh, that we came across yeah it's really it's harsh over there um and i think that sort of already ignited like the idea of dogs there are dogs there and i always like thought in my grown-up life like life like you know, I'm not going to adopt a dog because no, I can't because my life doesn't really allow it because I don't have time. Because I first I studied, then I got a job and then I studied again. I was like, no, I'm not going to get a dog. And, on and then that the dog trip, got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that trip, a sort of a change of mind came. I was like, but wait a minute. Why can I not get a dog? I'm grown up. If I want to get a dog, I can just get a dog. I'm gonna get a dog. So that already started before my ex came with the puppies. So the seed was planted. I was already sort of like browsing through the website of the Dutch shelter and looking at the dogs there. I was like, I'm probably gonna get a dog when I get back home. And yeah, and then my ex came with two puppies. Um, the idea initially was that we would uh, uh, raise them a little to make them stronger and older and then find them homes there but like after two weeks I was completely like no way those dogs are mine both of them and um, that's when I started figuring out how to actually get it done because um, we were volunteers so I had no income and Nicaragua is a high uh, rabies risk country so it's not really easy to uh, get it done to get the to arrange all the papers it takes time and it takes a lot of money actually and uh, I, we had time, but we didn't. I didn't have money, so um, it's like okay. And now what? And um, yeah, I basically set up a crowdfunding. I uh, oh. actually, yeah, but like not a, through a platform because that was like um, nine years ago, almost I think. So I didn't even know. I don't even know if there were platforms back then. It's a pretty long time ago. But what I did was. Um, um, people followed me on Facebook, like our friends and friends of friends. So they knew that we found the puppies. And so then uh, we set up a call for donations. And I basically sent like 100 private messages to all the people. I kid you not. I privately messaged all the people that I, that I knew. Like, I really love these dogs. And I really, really, really want to give them a better life. Can you please help? And people started donating. <laughs> so, uh, wow. And how, yeah. do you have any idea how old? they were when your ex found them um estimated five weeks we think wow. they already had their teeth and they were able to to eat on their own so we think five six weeks maybe but they were tiny they they basically fit in the palm of my hand so tiny malnourished or or malnourished or tiny uh, dogs that's no I guess like it. tiny puppies yeah they were not malnourished they were covered in fleas but they were not skinny so I don't think they were um, alone for long. Like where my ex went jogging, there were no houses or anything. It was just a dirt road. Um, and I think, but it's just my assumption that somebody dumped them because they were two females. And you know, if you have female dogs, if you're not gonna castrate them, you're gonna have puppies. Because it's just yeah. so strange that there were just two of them. And uh, he said that he looked around, he looked around for the mother, but he didn't see any dogs. And then he went a little bit down to uh, first houses. And in his broken Spanish, he asked people like, you know, if the puppies belong to someone and the people basically left him out. 
like you know dogs are worthless over there yeah. like um yeah mixed breed dogs are just vermin pretty much uh for pure breed dogs they have a certain status because if you have a pure breed dog you can afford a pure breed you can afford them so it's a sort of symbol of your wealth but other dogs it's just uh, it's horrible really so now you uh, you crowdfunded and then i guess you managed to raise enough money to get lou to holland yeah lou and her sister actually i brought them both back but wow. um when they were about three months old they started fighting with each other and like from one day to another it went from sleeping cuddling and being super nice together to these two monsters drawing blood so i was like oh my god what's going on <laughs> what's happening to my to my puppies and then i uh, started reading a bit about uh, raising two puppies together and i found the litter mate syndrome which is not confirmed by research it's I, i believe it's not an official term and as a dog behaviorist you're not allowed to use it but yeah i was like okay that's happening to me and what i found online was that the most difficult combination is two females and i had two females on my hands so for I think maybe a month or two, I was like, okay, if I want to keep them together, I'm going to have to spend 24 hours a day uh, raising them until they are about two years old and raising them separately from each other for as much as possible. And it was just not, uh, it was just not realistic. So that's when I like sort of uh, decided, okay, so I need to rehome one of them. And um, then the heartbreak came with it because which one do you choose? Huh? I mean, I love them both. And um, yeah. I would not it's have too... liked to have been in your shoes for sure. No, it was hard. But I think the decisive thing was that uh, Lou's sister was a little bit easier with strangers and just generally a bit uh, milder character wise. And I sort of felt like, okay, she's going to handle it better. And uh, it's going to be easier to find a good home for her than it would be for Lou because Lou is the more feisty one and the more strong-headed one and I also thought like I like challenges and she's going to be a challenge <laughs> and oh my god that has really like uh yeah that came back at me a few times careful what life. you like, wish for yeah exactly yeah so did Lou's sister find a new home in the Netherlands or in Nicaragua already um, in the Netherlands, I was still toying with the idea of leaving her behind, but I, I have a friend who also lived in Nicaragua before, and he told me that he left two of his dogs in someone's hands, someone he trusted, and both of these dogs were dog in, do dead in no time. So that was the moment when I was like, okay, none of my puppies is staying behind, they are both coming, and then I'll figure it out when we, you know, when we come to Holland. So I brought them both. Yeah. What what age were they when you managed to I because I guess you have to finish your volunteer time in Nicaragua and then come back and then Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but Yeah, but that was actually good because you need at least 4 months to arrange all, all the paperwork because they need to be uh, vaccinated against rabies and a month later you need to do the titer titer yeah. test titer to see the, if they have enough antibodies basically. Yeah, and and 3 months later they are allowed to travel. So we had enough time to arrange that. And then the last month of our stay in Nicaragua, we went uh, traveling with them. 
we got a lot of looks from local people and uh, a lot of also interest because they looked really well. They were well fed and they I walked them on the leash. So people were even trying to buy them from me. Like it's so strange, really. So strange. now that, so when they stopped looking like street dogs somehow, they were. Yeah, they sparked then, okay. interest. And I think also the combination with, you know, being walked by a foreigner. Yep. Sort of uh, added value, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so um, I think they were they were about six months old when I, when I brought them to Holland. All in all, and then uh, and then things went a bit sideways because uh, it turned out that her papers were falsified by the vet in Nicaragua, and they got confiscated and put in quarantine. Basically, the Title test uh, paper was not an original document, so they asked me, like, we need to see the original test. Please call the labor laboratory and get us the original test. And then I called, and it turned out that the test was never made. So the whole procedure, which is four months, had to be repeated here in Holland while they were in quarantine. Yeah, that was, uh, I kid you not, that was the worst period in my life. So um, the, I have zero idea how that works i have visions of them being in a kennel by themselves for four months but how does that even work um i think they have different places in holland where they uh, can quarantine dogs and they were they were sent um somewhere pretty far away from amsterdam uh, to a dog pension with the um, department of quarantine and I lived for four months with the idea that they would just be put in a kennel and don't not see the outside world at all. Um, later, I heard uh, that they were like quarantined like this for a month because they got revaccinated, and then you, you need to wait for a month. And after that period, they took them for, for walks. But the communication with the whole with the place was not very um, easygoing, and yeah, it was a lot of heart heartbreak and tears and. Uh, fear fear of what i'm gonna get back after four months you know what kind of dogs i mean they were at a really impressionable age so they really missed a few pretty important months in their in their yeah habituation yeah, because this was then from like i guess from six to ten months of age something like yeah, that yeah uh, yeah exactly so right when they're starting to hit puberty and all of that yeah yeah and i Whoa. have no idea what they went through over there because yeah, I really don't know. I mean, I expect, well, the place is run by professionals, so I expect some sort of level of service, but I really don't know. So I remember um, the night before I was allowed to go pick them up, I was standing in my kitchen doing the dishes and crying. I was really crying like, oh my God, what am I gonna, what am I, what kind of dogs am I gonna get back? Yeah. What am I gonna do? Well, they still know uh, me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah, guessing, exactly. I mean, crowdfunding to get all the stuff done in Nicaragua, but I'm guessing the quarantining isn't cheap either, or no. I can't imagine the state paying that for you unless no. we do as Dutch people. I don't think so. No, no, but um, that was a pretty horrible period in my life, but also a lot of, uh, I got a lot of help from different people because uh, basically that was all I was, talk I was talking about. I, um, I worked at a festival and 
um, every conversation with every people was about the dogs and my dogs being in quarantine and my life being completely horrible at the moment. So people were super supportive. And, um, yeah, I got a lot of donations as well, I have to say. Yeah. Very heartwarming. Um, yeah. So then 10 months? You get them yeah, back. Yeah, 10 months. And I didn't see them much in that period because you're allowed to go visit, but you're not allowed to touch them. So you can look through a glass window. And I went twice and completely shattered me into pieces. I was crying on my way back. And, you know, they couldn't understand. They could see me, but... Yeah, why aren't you I coming? Was, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't do it much. I went twice. And then went to pick, pick them up. And they immediately recognized me. And... <laughs> it was pretty amazing. I, I could like cry right now. It's so emotional. But they remembered everything, really. So, wow. At yeah. least that part was, you know, a relief, I guess. Yeah. 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 And then I got two teenage dogs on my hands. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. to me about that. What, when did oh. you start? Because we, we talked like really briefly, but you know, like we didn't want to talk too long before the recording because all the good stuff would have been said already. But mm -hmm. when did, uh, because in the end, we're going to also be talking a little bit about loose reactivity. Mm -hmm. Did that start then at that time, like in puberty or, um, or was there sort of a gradual buildup to that? To her reactivity? Mm -hmm. Um. I think it must have started before um, because we lived on a big, big piece of land and the puppies, both of them, didn't really have much contact with other dogs because there were no other dogs on the property. There was our neighbor's dog, a male dog, who uh, saw the puppies and was like, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> he really didn't want to have anything with them until they got a little bit older. Um, so they didn't have much contact and I tried walking them outside of the property just to make them used to other stuff as well. But what you see in Nicaragua is that there are the, these hordes of dogs living around certain areas and really team up and see it as their territory. So they will go after you. And it's pretty scary. I had a few times when I would just pick up both puppies and be like, okay, I have to get out of here as fast as, fast as I can. Otherwise, I'm going to be attacked by these dogs. So that's the thing, you know, they missed the uh, crucial weeks with their mom, which is like a big, yeah, it usually leads to problems. Then they grew up in an environment without other dog role models and in an environment where dogs are actually not friendly <laughs> towards dogs that they don't know. So it was a pretty, I guess, not optimal start for them. So it must wow. have started over there. But when I... Where I started noticing it was, of course, here, because here we, in Holland, we, uh, we have a completely different reality of living with dogs. So all of a sudden, there are dogs everywhere, and they're on leashes, and it's hectic. And so I started noticing the problem here, yeah. You live in Amsterdam now. I don't know, like, I mean, Amsterdam has suburbs that, uh, that, and, and the city center and, and whatnot, but I imagine there are, like, it's a high dog density lots yeah, of bikes cars whatnot mm -hmm. what was I don't know I just I guess how did she settle in and what was what, what were the first signs for you that something was up or what was the first reactions what were the first reactions like what did did she mm. do um 
yeah bikes were a trigger for her so she went after bikers bikers joggers other dogs um skateboarders anything on wheels was uh, yeah my sweet dog just turned into a dragon spitting fire and i really thought like oh my god what's going on what am i what am i supposed to do with this how what, uh. yeah yeah that, <laughs> So what, what did you do? What did you end up doing? Um, I, um, I went to a training with her and that was positive reinforcement training, but still pretty much obedience training um, within a small group of dogs. And she was reactive over there as well. So that was not such a big success. Um, and then I think I just started reading a lot and trying to understand what was going on because I really didn't didn't know what was going on. Why why is my dog just barking and pulling on a leash and yeah, snarling at everything? But I cannot really pinpoint one moment when uh, when sort of uh, when the realization came that she is reactive and what reactivity is and what, what you can do about it. I know that um, maybe five years ago or maybe a little bit more, I ended up going to a dog school um, on the in the suburbs of Amsterdam and I think I still think it's one of the best dog schools in the area and they uh, work really much with the dog welfare in the center of attention and the emotions behind behavior and not you know no quick fixes no uh, the, like regular thing like sit stay whatever but like really okay your dogs is, be is behaving in a certain way because of a need or emotion and you have to work on changing that if you want the behavior to change. So that was for me an eye opener. And I think the start of my uh, um, animal welfare oriented dog training. Yeah, this was when she was three years old. You yeah. So that yeah. a little bit of time had passed in the yeah, in the yeah. meantime. So what were your original expectations of, you know, living with Lou and bringing her well and originally then her her sister as well bringing him to to the netherlands what was your picture that you had <laughs> painted uh yeah i was like i was so naive i can't believe how naive i actually was i mean i grew up with dogs huh? and i really wanted to have a dog since i was a kid and the story goes in my family that i actually like my father didn't want to have a dog so apparently when i was four years old i walked on my or like on my knees and my hands and barked so that he would agree and he did. So I did grow up with dogs and still I had that idea that a dog is just like 24 seven happy machine. That they just, that the only modus they're in is happy and that they love everything and everybody and they want to be taken to places and they just like, you know, like this, I don't know, Disney movie uh, cartoon dog, that's what I thought dogs were. And then I got Lou. So the, the first course that you went to, you said, was more focused on, on obedience, obedience yeah. right? Sid and all of that. Did I mean, because I also did a lot of that with Rusty. He, he went like obedience one, two, you know, like advanced, all of that stuff was great i mean like he can he could do like a sit stay at distance and and whatever mm -hmm. but it didn't help me with his reactivity you know nobody kind of spotted or maybe they did spot it but nobody really helped out in telling me like what can you do you know like he would do a beautiful sit stay but 
he would be looking at the agility field or, you know, agility training that was going on in the next field. And I was like, okay, I have about two seconds to get to him now because he's going to end up running after that other dog or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I also asked them about the gun walks and things, how to go about stuff then, which is completely different situation from being on a training field. Yeah. And I never really at that time got my answer or I guess the answer that I didn't know I was looking for, but it, it, it never felt like the right answer. Was that your experience in that first yeah. training as well? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I remember one moment when um, Lou spotted somebody from afar and the advice was just to ignore it. Just to don't, you know, don't look over there because then she's going to notice that you, you look and then uh, it's going to be the signal for her that it's important and you just have to ignore it because she has to ignore it too and I'm like like right now I'm like how what a crazy piece of advice like yeah you know my dog is worried about something I have to help her and you know you should have told me to actually help her and not ignore her so yeah no that was not it was not completely useless I have to say like the whole course we we like we learned some things and I I think that was the first moment that I noticed that Lou, Lou is really super intelligent because she's very smart and that she loves learning so it was helpful in that way but uh, concerning reactivity not at all so I I really don't know how I survived the, the first uh, three years with her like I don't know okay let's let's say two years because she was 10 years old when she got out of the quarantine so yeah it's just a haze of um, being shouted at at the park that it's uh, my fault and my no dog is never going to learn because uh, I behave the way I behave. And also thinking like, I don't understand my dog and walking her is not very nice. You know, it was just, I don't know, a haze of a different thing. What was this people yelling at you at the park? Did, did you take her to the park um, then or how did that work yeah, did she do in okay in the beginning I the whole like subculture of dog owners opened up to me I was like oh my god people who don't know each other just go to the park and they meet in the field and they let their dogs off leash and they chat to each other that exists <laughs> and everybody talks about their dog okay so I guess I have to be a part of that because that's what dog owners do but Lou hated it and she was reactive and uh, yeah, I remember I, I was actually walking away, I think, and uh, Lou was lashing out at the dog, and I really was like, I just want to move away because it's, you know, it's not nice. And a guy just shouted at me like, yeah, it's your fault, and your dog is never going to learn because you don't let her, and it dogs, and they have to work it out. So stuff like oh, that. yeah, the, they'll work it out amongst themselves, um, yeah, standard yeah, yeah. phrase. Yeah. And I think that was a moment when I also got in touch with a behaviorist for a um, private session. Um, and what she told me, I told her about the situation. She was like, yeah, the, uh, they will work it out uh, is the reason why I have so much work in this country. So, oh, that's yeah. a good way of phrasing it. <laughs> but um, yeah. What did you think, though, before you got into in touch with the behaviorist? Like, did you feel like you were missing something that this guy might have been right or were you already trusting your gut that like no, something's amiss no I was really insecure and I was doubting myself and it made me feel really shitty actually yeah because you know 
when you're a first time dog owner, you don't know, you don't know a lot of things. And then, yeah, you sort of, I sort of thought like, okay, people with dogs, they know better. So maybe he knows better. Maybe it is my fault. So it's my fault that my dog is broken. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I asked because the answer you just gave was my answer at the time as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I can constantly thought like they must be right. Right. Like I, yeah. they've had dogs all their lives, so they probably know more than I do, which yeah, they didn't, <laughs> but yeah, it gets you to be really insecure. Yeah. Yeah. And the moments when you're, you know, when your dog is not uh, at her best and you're not at her best, it's like a stab in the back. Thank you very much for yeah, making me feel even worse than I already do. Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts feeding off of, of each other, of course. But then, okay. So then the behaviorist did her telling you that that's why she had so much work. Did that help you feel a little bit better? Um, I guess in a way. But the whole session, unfortunately, she also gave me a lot of old fashioned advice, like a timeout and um, not putting your dog on the bed and the couch because of hierarchy. Um, uh, I can't remember what else she said, but I was like, okay, I got a dog for company. I like my dog being in my bed and you are telling me not to do it. I'm not going to do it. So yeah, so lots of her advice. I just sort of brushed off and I thought like okay this is pretty useless I just spent 150 euros on a piece of advice that I'm not going to do anything with Uh, what did stuck was that she said that Lou was insecure so I think that was the first sort of uh, moment uh, of realization okay my dog is insecure so that might have been a small opening to understanding my dog a little bit more yeah, but the se- the whole session was not extremely did not help us a lot. I think she let me think. We did uh, go to a park, and she saw what Lou did uh, when she saw the dogs, and she analyzed her body language. And I think the, if I remember it right, her advice was not to sit still in a park, but to keep moving. So that's what we did for the next years to come. I never like sat down to <laughs> enjoy in a park because when I sit down, then Lou uh, turns into a dragon. Still can be the case, but in the meantime, I sort of uh, dis- discovered what can help her. But it's still, it's never going to be a dog weird that you can take to a busy park and, uh, you know, picnic in the middle of the field. It's just uh, too difficult for her. Yeah. So the chat with the other dog owners in the park... Um subculture is not going to be yours probably no and i also i don't know living with lou is a lot of realization a lot of looking in the mirror moments you know like um i realized that i actually don't enjoy it that much either because basically i like my friends and that's it i don't like a lot of people i don't know because i'm a bit of an introvert so why am i putting myself out there and forcing myself to interact with people i don't know and that's you know stresses me out stresses out my dog we might as well just not do it hey why not just not do it and do other stuff yeah holy cow and did that did that realization sort of did that hit you or was that also a gradual thing um i think it might have gradually sneak in and then just sort of at some point become pretty obvious um 
living with Lou also made me realize that I'm noise sensitive. And that's because she uh, can be reactive to scooters and noisy stuff. And I noticed in myself that it also stresses me out. So, yeah. Does it help you in understanding her better as well? Sort of knowing yeah. that you react to it? Definitely. And it also um, made me realize, it made me more observant of my own uh, reactions and my own feelings. And just like, just the other day, I don't know why I had a headache, I think, and we went out uh, for a quick pee and the noise just really hit me, cars and scooters. And like, you know, normally you're habituated, so you just don't notice, but now it really hit me and she was reactive as well at that moment. And I was like, oh, this is just us not having a good moment. So, you know, let's just go back, back home. It's uh, whatever, whatever, I don't know, maybe I didn't sleep well and she didn't sleep well, it's okay. Things like that happen. Yeah. And would you have done that a couple of years ago? No, I guess not. It's no. And it's still sometimes can be a challenge to realize that your dog is just having a day off and that's just best just go back home and chill. You know, you leave the through the door and you have a plan in mind and then just sometimes have to drop that plan and uh, think of something else to do. It still can be a bit of a challenge. Because you want to stick to that plan, right? Once it's in your yeah nested in your brain. So so at three years, you found um, the other dog school. You said that was way more in tune with, or are not in tune, but well, what's what what's the way I want to phrase it? That was paying more attention to the underlying emotions of yeah. the dog in their training. Uh, that was when Lou was about three years old. So that's like five, five, six years ago. I, I found them. Yeah. And then did you, are you like, what, what happened from then? Did you train with them for a long time? Are you still training there? How did things progress from there? Um, so I had a private session uh, first and I really loved the place, the whole place. I mean, the people, the place where it's located and it's very green and serene. And um, I think it's sort of, I'm really bad at chronology, but around the same time I started uh, studying veterinary natural medicine. So natural medicine for dogs, um, cats and horses. And I needed to get to know horses better because dogs and cats I love and now I know a lot, but horses were like, okay, that's this big creature and I don't understand how it works and I have to do something with it. So I basically sent them an email like, uh, guys, can I, can I help you with horses so that I learn about horses? And so that's how I got invo involved in the school from a different angle. I went there, I think twice a week uh, to basically uh, clean up the stables and do things with horses and get wow. to know them a bit better. <laughs> yeah, I have to say it's horses are still not my kind of animal. But at least I kind of sort of got to know them a little bit better and realized that it's all about uh, reading, knowing and reading the body language of the animal. The hilarious thing was that I was actually taking care of the pony and you can go on walks with a group of horses. And I was walking the pony and in my head, that pony was gigantic, seriously. And then I looked at the photo of us, of the two of us sometime later, and it's just like a big dog. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, in, yeah, not in your mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so um, 
And because I was involved with the school from that side, I also started getting involved more in the dog training. Um, and I did a detection course with Lou over there because she loves to sniff that dog's nose is amazing. Um, and yeah, how did it go? And at some point I started helping there as a trainee, pretty much. Wow. Uh, so like so many people, you went down the dog training rabbit hole. <laughs> Not entirely yet, because and, actually, and <laughs> <laughs> well, with the natural medicine, I stopped after two years because um, I'm pretty down to earth and pretty Western methods oriented. And some of the therapies were just not really, yeah, how, how should I put it? Out there? Um, not for me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, I quit uh, with the natural medicine because I didn't want to do uh, exams and, you know, getting a diploma for something I basically don't really believe in. So, and then uh, already before that, I was pretty much interested in food. There, there are two passions in my life, my life, dogs and food and feeding dogs. So I went towards um, uh, nutrition, dog nutrition, and I'm already now certified in dog nutrition, actually. But wow. because of the... I really like a holistic look on dogs. So not only like what's going on with the digestive tract, but the whole total picture. And I think everything influences each other. Health influences behavior, diet influences health. So um, now that I finished the, the canine nutrition, I think I'm gonna move towards uh, studying dog behavior and getting certified in dog behavior. Okay, so <laughs> the, ra the, the rabbit hole is back open. <laughs> <laughs> So did, did you apply any of that to Lou, any of your knowledge then that you've now gathered on nutrition and have you seen it make a difference or not? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lou unfortunately has developed um, chronic um, gut issue problem, but that's already under control with a lot of supplements and a diet change. So all good but took a while to figure it out. And also then you notice that conventional medicine has its limit and cannot always, I really do believe in conventional medicine. Let's uh, be clear with that. And I definitely go to a conventional vet uh, with Lou. But uh, in some cases, I also think you should go the holistic route and uh, visit other specialists and uh, yeah, try to help your dog. For example, uh, her gut issue, I'm just thinking about like if if I am not feeling well, then that definitely has its influence in in yeah. how irritable I am, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that noticeable for for in her behavior? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she's not feeling well, she's definitely more edgy, and uh, and then her reactivity, which is I think on a scale from zero to ten, she was about eight when the reactivity issue started and now she's down to maybe two, three. But if she had a bad night, because when uh, um, when she's not feeling well, she gets tummy ache in the middle of the night and she has to go outside and eat a lot of grass and then she doesn't sleep well. On days like that, after such a night, she's definitely more uh, irritable and we move uh, to a 0.6 on wow. her re reactivity scale. Yeah. That clear of a correlation. Oh. 
Yeah, and I really like whenever I talk to somebody with a dog who's got a behavioral problem, my first advice is always go to the vet because really a lot, a lot of uh, reactivity cases are linked to an underlying medical reason. Really a lot. Pain is a big factor. I just actually, I, I just now that you mentioned that, I was just talking to some fellow dog people that I normally meet in an off-leash area, but now I met them um, on a walk through Delft, where we live. And they were talking about their old dog who already passed away, but he turned out to have liver problems. And that was also a big, big thing for them. And once they figured that out and gotten a handle on that, mm-hmm. the whole behavior and demeanor of the dog also changed. So yeah. that's kind of kind of good to know and to keep an yeah. eye on. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if I myself don't feel well for whatever reason i'm not going to be very kind to people i have to say no no that's what you say yeah i'm i get antsy and irritable and go like you know but yeah the sentences get shorter and a, a little bit harsher <laughs> yeah exactly another thing that i just noticed you do but i don't know if that's something you have been doing or that you just came up with but you you said like on a scale from 0 to 10 the reactivity mm-hmm. was an 8 and now it's like more a 2 or a 3 yeah is that something that you've used to sort of keep track of her reactivity to see if there was improvement or is is that just something that you just came up with on the fly <laughs> No, I mean, I didn't write it down, you know, I didn't run it like, like I didn't write a journal or anything, but at some point, I guess, I don't know, it just uh, popped up in my head, especially when I noticed improvement, like in her behavior, I was like, okay, so she was so super reactive and now she's not that reactive anymore. How should I describe it? And then the yeah. scale just came to my, to my mind. But that's yeah. such a cool idea because sometimes, you know, some things you can't, really put a finger on or, or measure it. Mm-hmm. And I've used this, I can't believe I never thought of it for like, like for reactivity, but I've used it for other things. Like, you know, like maybe just at the end of a day, give a certain issue or something, a number like, okay, today was in like a, mm-hmm. a good day in eight or a bad day yeah. at two or yeah. whatever, just for, from how I felt, but I never thought of it. Um, applying it to reactivity why not you know like you've like use it sort of as an evaluation tool at the end of the day go like okay today was an eight or a six yeah. or whatever and just um work it that way okay just for that this this whole episode <laughs> is already like super duper a win now, i'm glad <laughs> now i've completely of course lost my train of thought and what else but- i wanted to ask you but now that you're talking about it I think like maybe if I had a piece of advice for myself a few years ago would be to actually keep a journal and write down you know the five and the six and the seven days and then notice that there are also more and more days like that go go towards four or three and actually appreciate that the that there are actually good days too between all that uh, snarling, barking and uh, pulling on the leash and uh, turning into a dragon. Because I think it's easy to forget that there are also so many good moments. And I think an eye opener for me, but I don't know how it happened, was just to actually notice how amazing my dog is and just to tell her, you're great. You're the best dog ever. Oh, that's what I actually, that's what I tell other people. And I did like, um, I, I ran um, a mindset mini course for 
dog owners, or I always like to call them guardians, but, you know, because I don't really believe in owning a dog, but Mm -hmm. dog owner is a more general term. Um, I'm more the term that more people use, but that's one of the exercises I put in there. Like just look at your dog and find some of the cool things, like find five things that are amazing about your dog and, and write them down or say it out loud or do something like that. Because we, we tend to forget our brains are just so programmed to see like, Oh, Oh, they, they lunged at a bike. Okay. Day's gone. But yeah. you forget to see all of the little other things that they do, the, the snuggles, all of that. And it makes you appreciate your dog so much yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. And I think it really helps to bring your relationship on a whole new level. Like my second favorite dog is our office dog. Her name is Julia. And she reminds me of Lou a lot. Uh, Julia is reactive as well. And um, when I started working there, two days straight, I kid you not, she barked at me. And I was just like, okay, bark. If you need to bark, just bark. And after two days, she's become my best friend. It's amazing. And her owner, owner, her guardian, also had that realization, I think, somewhere in the beginning of Corona. The situation changed. It became more peaceful for Julia, less triggers. She didn't have to come to the office. So she started noticing all the good things in her dog and saying them to to the dog and it helped her so much to actually accept her dog for what for what she is so i i guess the piece of advice to every dog guardian is just to focus on the good things in your dog that's where your focus should be not on the things that are not perfect or not working yet or whatever yeah for sure so if you had to to think of all the things that have become so much better like all the good stuff that has happened um for lou over the last couple of um years what would you say are her like biggest wins and what are the things that she has the most fun at um or maybe what are your biggest wins how about that (laughs) um yeah um lou got to the point where she can go on uh uh group walks with other dogs with her amazing dog walker and she started with individual walks um i think maybe three years ago i'm not sure i'm not very, I'm not very good at dates but she walked her for a half a year individual walks and she was like no 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 we can't put lou in a group it's too stressful no 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 it's too stressful but then at some point she's like you know what i've noticed so much improvement in her let's try it and now it works and she's got a steady group of dogs that accept her i can't say if they are really friends probably not really friends but they're a group of dogs that know each other and accept each other and Lou has a clear role in the in that group and I think it's amazing wow it's really amazing yeah. by the way I did that not... also... sorry yeah I, I was just thinking I... that also sounds like an amazing dog walker that actually looks at your dog and at first says no mm-hmm. not right now and it wouldn't be a great idea and then notices Sort of yeah, when it she's would great. Be. But oh. she's also a trainer. She's also a dog trainer. So that explains it. Nice. <laughs> but um, a few years ago, I didn't think that would ever be possible. Like, uh, you know, walking in a group of dogs. And I also see a lot of improvement on the walks as well. So, yeah, I think that's uh, the biggest achievement. And the most fun, we, we, we do lots of uh, those work. So uh, we started... Uh, dog well 
now men trailing and now we do dog trailing with the idea that Lou would eventually actually try to help uh, lost dogs. Mm. And she loves it. She loves that work so much. It's amazing. I really wish I had started earlier. How does that work? Dog trailing? Is the reactivity an issue there or is that just another smell for her to go after, so to say? It's, uh, it's another smell to go after. So, And I mean, her reactivity really went down to about level two, three out of the 10. So, yeah. Maybe I should ask you, what do you think contributed most to the, her reactivity going down that much? Um, a lot of counter conditioning and a lot of, you know, walking in arches instead of straight lines and other dogs and giving her space. And I mean, it helps that Lou is extremely food oriented, like extremely. So um, at the school where I help right now, they um, taught me to, you know, um, make for her to, to, to make the association with dog means that I look at you and I get really tasty food piece. So I think that did the trick, just not walking straight at other dogs, um, making sure that there's enough space when she's leashed, so crossing the street sometimes or doing a U-turn or whatever is possible, uh, making sure that I always have tasty treats on me and that uh, <laughs> when she sees a dog, there, you know, she gets a piece of something super tasty. Um, and what else? I think those were the main things. It sort of somehow managed to teach her that other dogs mean that nobody will walk in her face in her personal zone because she's got a big personal zone. And I mean, fair enough. It's the same with me. Um, and that when other dogs are there, good things happen. And just before we get to the expectation, frustration, celebration part, if you mm -hmm. had to describe the biggest win for you, could you, or am I asking you something really <laughs> difficult now? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the whole, I mean, Lou is the biggest, the best thing that happened to me in my entire life. And um, I went from uh, being super interested in arts and cultural sector and theater to completely shifting my life completely towards animal welfare. I also work in animal wel welfare currently. And hopefully I'm also going to work more with dogs. So the whole, um, I think basically if I had gotten a really super easy do going dog, I would have become like, maybe, I don't want to offend anybody, but like an average dog guardian that just, you know, has a dog that is in the house and that's it. But because of her being the way she is, the whole world of dog behavior, dog nutrition, and dog existence opened up to me and filled my, my world with so much new interest, new insights, new information. I love learning. I really do. So she basically turned my life upside down. So she's my biggest gift. And the fact that she's not the easiest dog ever is actually quite a gift, I think. If I could just like repeat what you said and then apply it to me. And, and say it in my voice, I think that would apply to, to me too. And I think actually to a lot of people that come on the podcast. So I like, just by you saying that, I want to ask you more about what, what you do currently, what kind of work, all of that stuff. And then this podcast is going to go over an hour again. And I promised myself, I told you before we started recording that I was going to try to keep them shorter. So I really, I will, I will keep my promise to myself. Fair enough. And 
or maybe we'll just have to have you on another time and talk about that. <laughs> um, but let's move over to um, the three words that I ask everybody to comment on at the end of um, the podcast, which are um, expectation, frustration, and celebration. And all of mm -hmm. this, of course, in relation to life with Lou, in this case, with your <laughs> Uh, okay, so expectation. Um, um, let go. Let go of all expectations. Um, give yourself time to mourn and cry about them. And then put the expectations uh, in a little neat box somewhere on your shelf and look at the dog in front of you. I guess that's my comment on expectations. Uh, frustration. Part of life not uh, the biggest part of life so just you know take them as they come and let go i guess i guess my comment on everything is let go but stick to the celebration don't let go of the celebration <laughs> <laughs> never let go of the celebration celebrate your dog celebrate your life with dog appreciate what you have because uh at some point they're gonna die yeah so focused on the good stuff let go of the bad stuff okay yeah that's a better note to end on i didn't want to want the last word of celebration to be <laughs> no 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 celebrate your life with your dog yeah exactly carolina thank you so much um for wanting to share your and lou's story on the podcast if people want to get in touch with you where can they find you where can they hear more about you <laughs> Um, um, I uh, run a really nice dog group on Facebook together with two friends. It's called Expats with Dogs in Amsterdam. And even though it says Amsterdam, it's actually not Amsterdam only. Um, there are people from all over the country and people from other parts of the world as well. So that's where you can find me the most. And you can see a lot of loot over there. Like really, we had the, I had a few moments when I walked the street and people were like, hey, is this Lou? I know this dog. Oh, are you Carolina? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I can confirm that there are people in that group who aren't from Amsterdam because I'm also in the group and I think it probably, I'm, I don't really qualify because I'm not an expert and I'm not in Amsterdam, but I just told Carolina also before recording that I really love the group. I just, I, I just want to, I guess, encourage people, especially if you're, if you're an expat in the Netherlands to join it. It's all about, it's all force free, positive reinforcement training. The atmosphere in the group is really nice. So Carolina, you and your, your fellow admins, you do an amazing job of, keeping keeping it i don't know just really i keep saying the word nice and that's really what comes <laughs> to mind i feel that there should be a synonym or another word that describes it better um but it's also positively reinforcing to the dog guardians in there to the human so thank you by all that's means really nice do go check that out um i'm going to link the facebook group in the show notes as well um and we're gonna stick a lot of pictures of lou in there as well so you can see what she looks like um 
Go. Can I mention, mention one more? Because I yeah. also have my own group, which is much, much smaller, and I should put more work into it. Uh, but there is another group where you can find me, and it's called um, Undogmatic Dogs and Cats in Amsterdam. Awesome. And what's that group about? Just promote it quickly. This is your chance. Go. Uh, the group started, well, basically somebody was like, you know, so much about nutrition, so you should start your group. Um, and uh, I started it when I was studying natural medicine. But currently it's a little bit of on training, nutrition and stuff like that. It's not super active yet. And I should definitely put more work into it. It's in the planning. And I, I guess in the future, I want to focus it more on nutrition in that group. Well, you're probably going to have to start putting stuff on there because <laughs> people know about it now and they're coming. At least I will have to click subscribe or join um, after we finish recording and we end the, the session. Anything else? Anywhere else? Apparently, that's it. Um, I will make a website for my nutrition advice, but um, I think that's a plan for somewhere later this year. All right. Well, when you do have it, get in touch. We will sure. update the show notes and we will put it in there. All right. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Once more. Thank you. <laughs> You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone. <laughs>